0: I'm drinking my coffee. I want everybody to take note of that. I took a drink of coffee at the pulpit. But this is part three. I'm not saying we're done at part three. Uh, there, there may be a part four that rolls right into Thanksgiving week, and uh, it'll be really fun if it does. If it doesn't, God's always good to bring us a new word. But we've we've been asking God some very... Different prayers in the last couple of weeks, prayers that aren't comfortable, and and I, I I borrowed a lot of the ideas from a book that's called Dangerous Prayers, and that's a very good way to label it. That we're praying dangerously when we ask God to search me, when we ask God to break me, and this week we're going to add the the next step, if you will, when we ask God, send me. Being the week that we celebrated uh, Veterans Day, I I couldn't help but throw in one of my favorite patriotic quotes. John F. Kennedy, uh, still the youngest Man to ever serve as president of the United States, a veteran, made this statement. He said, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And it's going to feel very much like a, a statement of faith when, when we begin to look at it through the eyes of what happens in our in our spiritual walk with the Lord when we stop asking for what God can do for us and begin to ask God, what can I do for you? And you want to talk about radically transforming your prayer life, it will do it. And Sunday school people, you're going to love this. Isaiah. We've spent a lot of time the last few weeks in Isaiah. And this is one of... The clearest conversion stories of the Old Testament. And people get kind of want to spiritually debate that sometimes and we'll have that debate. It'll be fun. You, you go ahead and meet me afterwards. We'll talk about it. But uh, it's very clear cut that Isaiah is going to have an encounter with God and God's going to radically transform his life and give him a purpose. And if that's not a conversion, I don't know what is. So, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, I'm going to take a brief pause there because I want you to understand that Uzziah was a good king, and the very worst thing that could happen to that society was Uzziah dies. So I, I want you to get the the time and place that Isaiah has this moment. He could have phrased this in the very worst year in the nation I lived in's history, I saw the Lord. So for some of you that get really, really ambushed and overwhelmed by the political scene, this is your verse. In the very worst year our country saw, I saw the Lord. So no matter how bad it gets, you can still see the Lord. And he saw him high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I know I've broke that down for you before, and for people who may not have been here, I promise you, if you want me to, I'll go aside and help break down the symbolism there, because, man, it's a lot of stuff that we can't unpack and get today's message in. But he saw the Lord, his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. That that will blow your imagery of what angels look like in a hurry. Okay? For those of you that can't wrap your head around it, they look more like weird bugs. We don't know what their faces look like because they cover them with wings. We don't know how many feet they actually have because they just cover them with two wings and they fly with the other two. Again, there's some things we could go into that I don't have time to break down. I've got to keep moving. And it's hard for me. I promise you that's hard because I really like to, to unpack everything I can unpack. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke there's times with the special effects that people have nowadays in movie making I want somebody to go do this I want to see it and it still won't match what I've got in my head I promise and Isaiah responds woe is me for I am lost the King James says for I am undone and and in case you wonder what Undone means I have lost control of my bowels is how it translates in the Hebrew you ever seen something that that terrifying to you that's what he saw when he saw the Lord but he, he owns who he is he says for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts to truly get to a point of submission and availability to God and to be fully aware of His presence, we are wise to recognize and understand our sinfulness. A, a very popular thing in the church today, the the, the church, and, and I'm saying that really loosely, there, there are groups of people that have bought into the modern way of thinking where, you know, Well once I got once I got Jesus, I am I'm without sin. I'm I'm not gonna identify as a sinner anymore. Well I, I hate to tell you that is horribly scripturally inaccurate. Because if Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, writes over and over about having to struggle with his flesh, with his sinful nature, how did you get so holy? That, that's a fair, tough question. If you think you're without sin because you're a Christian, you've been forgiven of your sin, but you're still going to struggle with your sinful nature. That's why Paul admonishes you to crucify your flesh daily. And what does that look like? Oh, it looks like two weeks ago's service of search me. Oh God, I know my heart if there be any sinful or displeasing or offensive way in me. Ooh. Wait, you mean we're supposed to pray that daily, Pastor? Ouch. Break me. Help me break those destructive habits in my life. Daily? Yeah. We're wise to recognize that that if we're left to our own devices, we're always going to fall into traps and temptation of sin. That's why the psalmist referred to the shepherd as the one who leads him and guides him. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Because if if I go wandering off on my own, I'm going to find something dumb, sinful, and stupid. Because that's who I am without you. And then the moment we see God for who He is, we truly see ourselves for who we are not. The more I know of God's holiness, the more I see Him as as that pure and perfect, sinless one, the more I realize that I'm nowhere near that. I, I can really own Paul's writings where he says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because even at my best, my righteousness is like dirty laundry. And if some of you don't know what that is, come by our house. I'll tell you. I'll show you. Mount Kiliman Laundry, the one range. And, and then, then we've got the, the children dirty clothes, Lation Trail that goes down the hall. But when you see God like Isaiah did, he looked at God and he said, Woe is me. And he didn't just recognize his sin, but he recognized that he dwelt in a land full of sinful people. And there's more to the response because God's not going to leave you stuck at seeing that, yes, without Him, you're sinful and lost and wretched and broken in a world that's sinful, lost and wretched and broken. God's going to say, Hey, I got something for you to do. And I left out a whole section of scripture. I don't have my Bible up here, but I'll quote it to you. And one of the seraphim took a coal off of the altar of the Lord and flew to me and touched my lips and said, This has purged your iniquity and your sins are forgiven. and i heard the voice of the lord saying whom shall i send who will go for us and then i said here am i send me i want you to understand that god sees you in your broken state in your sinful state and he's loved you too much to leave you there so he sent his son jesus christ to live a sinless life on this earth and to go to the cross Bearing your sin, your shame, everything that God had an account against you. And He wiped out your ledger. He set you free from the bondage of sin. He set you free from the debt that you owed to sin. And the Bible says He cast it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it again in Isaiah's time, Isaiah, when he saw this vision of who God was, he saw the altar of the Lord which represented atonement. It represented rolling back your sins. And the angel took it to a whole new level and brought fire from the altar to Isaiah. And he touched his lips because that was the clear identity that Isaiah had has adopted for his sin. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim touched the coal to his lips, and said, I'm destroying that identity. Your sin is forgiven. And how does Isaiah respond? Isaiah responds because now, without the bondage of sin blocking him from hearing the voice of God speaking to him, he hears God saying, who will I send? And who will go for us? And he says, here am I, send me. Here am I. In Hebrew is Hanani, which is a call to attention by a warrior saying I'm ready to go to battle. I don't even know what the orders are, but I'm here, I'm at attention. And I'm sure Jim can tell you about boot camp. There's times you stand at attention for the sake of standing at attention. There's a lot of people in the church who have never come to that point in their relationship with God because they don't want to pray and ask God, God, what do you want from me? They want God to be that genie that they, well, God, I need you. I I need you to do this. I need this. I need that. There were a hundred million people praying that God would give them the lottery numbers for 1.9 billion reasons. And there's people like, yeah, 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 yeah." If you bought a ticket, don't be ashamed. I'm not mad at you, God's not mad at you. God didn't bless you with 1.9 billion reasons not to be here this morning, so we're okay. If he had, cut that tithe check, baby. That's all I gotta say. People are like, wait, you can't say that. Why can't I? If God gave me 1.9 billion, I'd be cutting some tithe checks, be cutting a whole lot of other checks too. I'm just telling you. But it's a call to attention. Here I am, Hanani. Here am I, and I can't pronounce the Hebrew for "send me." But it's an absolute call of surrender. That I don't even care what the directive is. I'm going which I as I began to study this I thought man what a what a picture of a veterans day right there you know men and women who answered the call without knowing what the orders were when they signed up that that's that's a powerful imagery but church I, I hope you understand that it's a process that gets you to that point. You, you don't just decide, hey, send me. Send me, Lord. You, you're not going to be there right away until you get the first part of search me. Search me, Lord. And, and I'll tell you that, that a lot of different people throughout the Bible respond to God Stepping into their life and searching them. And, you know, Isaiah cried out, Woe is me. But a lot of people forget Moses hid his face from God. Peter, when he encountered Jesus for the first time, he hit his knees and, and, and said, Depart from me because I'm a sinful man. I'm not good enough to be who you're calling me to be. And, and we can follow Peter's life down the road. And, you know, he's going to get that bravado of, yeah, send me. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll never reject you. And Jesus says, no, you're not ready yet. You're not there yet. You haven't really been broken yet. You're not there. You know, it took to break him a little girl and a rooster. That's That's a Kentucky Fried Chicken message. That'll break you. He wasn't broken yet. He wasn't ready to be sent. We, we battle this every day. Every day when you get up, you're going to be battling against your fleshly nature that tells you, I want comfort. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. But I can promise you, you will never operate in the fullness of your capacity for Jesus Christ if you're comfortable. It's not always comfortable to walk up to somebody you don't know and to do ministry. And people are like, wait, 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 you just said the M word. I'm, I want you to understand ministry is something as simple sometimes as, as stepping in and, and playing with somebody's kids to distract them while they finish shopping. Is it ground shaking? No. Is it going to make you a lot of money? No. Is it it going to be something where people are telling the stories of your greatness forever and ever? No. But for that mom who's about to lose her stuff in Walmart on her kids. You're going to show her the love of Jesus. And she's going to ask, "Why, why did you even care? You get to tell her. You see that mom going through a grocery store checking every coupon. And one of her kids bebops around the corner and you hand him some money with a note that says God wants to bless you and remind you He's your provider. Or just simply God bless you on it. And he goes toddling back to mom with a fan of money. You may have just gave them hope in a season of hopelessness in their life. Maybe it's something as simple as picking up the phone and calling somebody you haven't seen in church in a while and saying, you know, we really miss you. I was just thinking about you. Can I pray with you about something? It doesn't have to be earth-shaking. But I can tell you, if you want the comfort of your flesh, it won't be there when you pick up that phone. Because your flesh will war against you saying, they're going to think I'm weird. In our day and age, they'll throw out the term, they'll think I'm stalking them. They'll think I'm a creeper. Because it's not natural. What's natural is to do nothing and just sit there and, and ask for the blessings of heaven. Just ask for it over and over. Bless me, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. What's supernatural is, Lord, make me a blessing and then just refill me enough to go do it again. Because the spirit and the flesh will always war against each other. Because your flesh seeks what's best for you. Your spirit seeks what's best for the glory of God. And and God says, you know, I, I own... All of the silver and the gold, they're mine. I'll share my glory with no one. God technically has ownership of you if you want to get legalistic. He paid a debt for you that you couldn't pay. And you get to decide whether you give him transfer of ownership or he already owns the debt. He paid it. Whether you acknowledge that he owned it and you start to live for him is up to you. If you don't, then you're still going to pay the wages of sin. And that's, that's a, a terrible, scary place. But here's the, the key to it all when you battle your flesh. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. So if, if you have those habits those mindsets, those things that are destructive and fleshly-minded that are all about you, then you are feeding that. And the more you feed it, the stronger it grows. Well, what happens if suddenly you start to feed your spiritual man and the only food you really want is that spiritual food, the Word of God, time in His presence, the living water of Jesus flowing out of you what happens when you start to feed on that? And you start to take these little steps into small acts of faith? Maybe it's just smiling at that coworker you can't stand. Maybe maybe it's paying for the person behind you in the drive-thru. It's not a tremendous act of faith, and it's a small monetary sacrifice unless it's the Manning van behind you. <laughs> you got to be aware of those minivans. You really better be prayed up because it'll hit your pocketbook. But the, the reality is that as God uses you more, you want to be used more for His glory. I, I want you to understand that very few people wake up one day and and answer the call to go be a missionary in Africa. I've got some dear friends that are back stateside and hopefully I can drag them up here. Well, he's back in Africa and she's stateside right now. But just so that they can tell you their story and and tell you what God's doing in and through their lives. And, And... and I, I can tell you after listening to those stories over and over and over, it wasn't just suddenly one day, hey, we're going to Africa. It wasn't that way at all. It was, my, my friend Shannon had already been preaching the gospel in the US. He, he had been doing ministry since he was a teenager. And, and God continued to bless him And as as Shannon sought for more of that blessing in his life, God opened doors for him to go do something bigger. It doesn't always jump in with something giant. God paved the way for us to adopt Xavier one step at a time. It wasn't just magically we decide we're going to Russia. Nobody magically decides to go to Russia, okay? You just don't. But start small. Make a part of your daily prayer. God, help me to just have a single act of faith today. Maybe that's that smile at a coworker that you really want to snarl at. Maybe it's maybe it's it's telling somebody that God loves them. And, and don't be afraid to write it in your journal at the end of the day or the beginning of the day what you're trying to do. And, and I promise you, those acts of faith will start to stir something up in you. Like Paul told Timothy, to, to stir up the gift that's in him. Make your life to where the answer is yes. Now what's the question? Where that's how we treat God. Every morning when you get up, God, the answer is yes. Now, what's your question? God, you forgave me of my sins. You've given me all I really need in life. So, my answer to you is always yes. If it's go pick up, you know, 16 kids and bring them to church on Sunday morning, the answer is yes. If it's go spend time reading the Bible, In an ICU to somebody that is unconscious, the answer is yes. If it's putting on an OU shirt, the answer is yes. Because God is worthy of our yes, no matter what the question is. He's given us everything we ever need. And if you want to know Him more, you have to know that the answer is yes before the question comes up because that's what Jesus did. Jesus knew the answer in the garden before He ever prayed. Before He ever prayed, He knew the answer. And His answer was already yes. It comes out a little more King Jamesy, like, not my will, but yours be done. It's Yes. Search me. Break me. Send me. Here I am. Send me. I want you to understand, church, when your prayer becomes focused on who God is rather than what He can do, because a lot of what he can do, we're very selfish about, God, I want you to heal my friends. God, I want you to bless my finances. God, I want you to, I want you, I want you, I want you. God, what can I do for you? God, how can I bring you glory? God, even if, if my life is just a, a terrible dumpster fire right now, can there, there were some Hebrew guys that got thrown in a pretty big dumpster fire and, and they brought you glory. I want to be like them. Wait, Pastor, you can't pray that. You can't pray to ask for suffering. If it brings God glory, then yes, bring it on. Well, well, yeah. Whatever your, I can't, you have to ask yourself, if God could get glorified through that, is your answer yes? Because Jesus already promised us, in this world you will have trouble. But don't be discouraged. I've overcome the world. And if I put you into trouble, I'll get you out of it. Because it brings me glory that you're able to do the things that I did. And Jesus promised that we would do greater things than He did. I still can't come up with one that's better than walking on water. That's pretty great. calming a storm with his hands, just stepping out and saying, peace be still. I'll tell you, he didn't get there by, well, here am I, send Peter. He got there, when he left the hall of heaven, it was send me. Send me because, Father, you've enabled me to be the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to understand you have that same mission. Jesus left it with you. He said, Go into the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all men. So you don't just get to tell them about it, you have to live it out in front of them so they can learn to copy and live it out too. Here am I. Send me.